Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Courtside Conversation. I'm your girl, Allie Love. After years on the hardwood as the in-arena host for the Brooklyn Nets, it's time for me to take it courtside. We're here with artists, athletes, and all of our favorite people to break down the game called life. We're getting real about the grow up and the glow up. So let's take a seat. Let's give a warm welcome to the 2019 James Beard Rising Star Chef of the Year. At just 33 years old, his list of accomplishments and accolades are already extensive and highly impressive. This author, chef, and entrepreneur knows how to bring the heat both in and out of the kitchen. Let's go ahead and take it courtside with Kwame Onwachi. Kwame, thank you so much for joining our courtside conversation. I'm thoroughly excited to talk to you because I met you not too long ago at a Brooklyn game and you know how you see people and you're just like, well, those are my people. You just feel it right away. That's what I felt with you. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. I felt the same way about you, your energy, your vibrancy, um, your electric and magnetic. So, so thank you. I'm, I'm glad the feelings mutual. Perfect. Um, so let's start it. We're going to have a fourth quarter here, like four quarters. We're going to start off in the first quarter. We're going to throw it back before we're talking about all the incredible things that I list or things that I've listed in the intro. Let's throw it back. I think nobody is somebody without a story and a story that goes deep. And so let's throw it to your formative years. Um, let's talk about growing up. How did you find your way to food? Was that always a part of your narrative? Yeah, well, food was always uh, a constant in my life. I come from a long line of chefs and restaurateurs. So I think we got to we gotta lay the groundwork. You know, you, you, you can't know where you're going unless you know where you came from. And my family back in the South, you know, they lived in, in Beaumont, Texas and Mamou, Louisiana. And, you know, during during Jim Crow, when people weren't allowed to, you know, go out and eat in, in certain restaurants, you know, or convenience stores, black people had juke joints in the back of their crib. You know, they had convenience stores, they had fish fries, they had barbecue shacks. And my family in the neighborhood was always the ones that had the restaurants. So uh, my grandmother had a restaurant. My great grandmother had a restaurant. And my mother had a catering company that she operated from the house. Now, in order to help keep the lights on, I had to pitch in in, in some way. Um, <laughs> small little Bronx apartment. So you already know how tiny that was. So I had nowhere to go. When food was being made and processed, I was right there next to my mom helping uh, put on the show. And what was it about food that kind of drew you in? Because I feel like growing up, I mean, I remember every Saturday and Sunday, my mom is one of 10 kids. I'm from Miami, Florida. The same thing would happen. All the family would come to our house. 
we would all be in the kitchen cooking. But what was a big, one of many things, but what was a big part of me growing up, for me growing up, was I would braid everybody's hair. And now yeah. I love, you know, I love when my hair looks good and fly and wear my afro and get my braids. But I knew like, while that was a part of something I had to do when I was growing up and a part of my family's like rich history, it wasn't necessarily a journey that I was willing to take as a profession, but holla and shout out to all of the hairstylists for keeping my hair fresh mm. and tight. That's on the, how did you know though? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, how did you know though food was for you? Because there are many times that we grow up with something and we deviate from that, not in a, in a bad way, but we just say, you know, that's what we, that's what we did then. How did you know it was for then and now? I definitely tried to deviate in the beginning. You know, I, I wanted to escape it. It was like, it was, it was a chore that turned into a hobby that turned into a passion. Mm. But I never saw of it as a, a career. You know, I open book. We struggled a lot growing up. You know, um, we moved from house to house. So I was like, why the hell would I want to do that shit? You know, I, 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 I know how to do it, but I don't want to do that. So I tried to go in different routes and I tried to get different professions, but food was the only thing that kept calling me back. And once I denounced that, like, I just want to make money, I want to do something that really fulfills me. That's when it really stuck for me. You said something about struggle, but before I get there, the end of the first quarter, when I think of your story, and this is what drew me to you, you know, granted the energy, I think energy matches energy. So your energy and your frequencies Mm -hmm. are very high, which I appreciate. Uh, But what ends up happening is that Whenever we meet someone, we try to figure out, huh, where does that person, wh- who does that person remind me of? Or where's the comfort level, right? Like that's what, that's what that attraction is in energy. Yeah. And so when I learned about you through our agent, Jordan, and then got to meet you and it was like chef, the title chef is so like up there. It's so like out of my reach growing up because when I, you know, again, throwing it back to growing up, when I grew up, yeah, I had uncles who cooked. They cooked in the kitchen. They created cuisines, but they were not, I won't say just cooks, but their title was cook. And that's, you know, the evolution of where black folks were at the time or just where people were at the time too. It's like, you know, my uncles, they created cuisines, they created recipes, but they were just called cooks. You're a chef. How did you know chef was possible? I don't think anything is impossible. That's really where where I stem from. I remember I was calling myself a chef when I was 18 years old, you know, and then when I couldn't get a chef job, I started my own catering company and I sold candy on the subway and I formulated my yes. own LLC and I got, I bought my own jacket and put my own word, Chef Kwame on it. So I always was like, I could do whatever I, I really put my mind to in life. And I think it stemmed from my upbringing. You know, I spent time in Nigeria, you know, seeing how, how the rest of the world really lives. So being in America, it's the land of opportunities. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to be riddled with potholes of, of, um, of racism and, and all the isms that, that, it, that we face. But if you really want something and you really want to put your head down and achieve that thing, there's nothing stopping you but yourself. Nothing stopping you for yourself. Let's step into this uh, second quarter. You said a keyword struggle. When we think about the game of life, when we think about any sport that we have an affinity to, there is a level of struggle that happens, right? It's like mm-hmm. whether you're down a few points or even if you're ahead, is that like, let's, how can we continue to create this gap where yeah. winning is, is not only the objective, but is the outcome. And so when you say the word struggle, when you said it earlier, but when you say it to yourself, how do you define struggle? And maybe is there like, how did you define struggle then versus now? Or is it the same? I think struggle then was financial burden. 
It was, you know, not being able to afford a meal, you know, and and it was also like, it was something that I had no control over. (laughs) You know, I was too young. I couldn't get a job or anything. I would stuff, I would shovel snow whenever I could, but it still, you know, didn't make ends meet. Um, I think struggle now is probably struggling to find your voice um, and also just like do exactly what you want to do. Cause like, you know, we all, I'd probably do the same thing. You know, at the top of the year, I'm like, okay, what do I want to achieve this year? These are the things that I want to hit and struggling to like figure out how to do that certain thing. That's what I would define as struggle now. And it doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it's going to be a, a challenge to get there. And I think that's where the, the journey is the reward comes into play. When I got my James Beard Award, I had wrote it down like two years ago. Like I want to be a James Beard Award winner. I don't think I had a restaurant at the time, you know, but the struggle was like, okay, I need to get a restaurant. I need to like put myself out there any way possible. Okay. Top chef, let's go. I don't care how young I am. I don't care how inexperienced I am. I'm going to do it. Um, let me like do as many food events as possible and food competitions. So, so yeah, the struggle is like, shit, like, how am I going to figure out how to do this thing at this point in time in my life? That's what the struggle means to me. Uh, just so you know, like I said in the intro, winner of the James Beer Foundation's Rising Star Chef of the Year Award in 2019. Also guest judge on Top Chef. You mentioned Top Chef. Um, how was it being on Top Chef? Like, were you nervous? Not even, we saw how you were, but I'm saying like, were you nervous in terms of, it's one thing to be on the other side of the table, but like, were you nervous? When I was a contestant? Or when when I was you a- were, no, when you were a judge. Because that's what I said, we know how it was for you on the other side of the table, but this this one was a new perspective for us. When I was a judge, I was definitely nervous. I was like, am I saying things properly? Like, um, am I representing? Uh, like, how do I look? You know, like all those <laughs> things came into play because also like when you're judging, you know, you're judging with like four or five other people. So like you got to come with the comments or, you know, you're not getting any airtime. So <laughs> it was it was that learning curve. Um, and then also like I had PTSD. I was just across the table like four or five years ago. So at any moment, I thought they were going to be like, ah, we're just joking. Get up. You have 15 <laughs> minutes and your time starts now. You know, so like it was, I was like, is this a fucking hoax until, you know, the, the they were like, oh, that's a wrap on today. I was like, oh, shit. OK, well, I'm going to my hotel room now. So so, yeah, I was definitely a little nervous, but um, but just excited also because I was able to bring a different perspective. I had traveled in their shoes, you know, the people that I was judging. I wasn't like a celebrity judge that came on and never cooked before or a chef that comes from a restaurant and never been in their shoes. So I was judging from a point of empathy um, as well as, you know, just supreme judgment, whatever you want to call it. Oh, experience. You mean being a chef since you were younger? Yeah, you're right. I got you on that one. (laughs) You mentioned you mentioned the struggle currently ish finding your voice. And that hit home with me. Even this morning I was having, I taught this class. I talked it, taught this pop ride and I get off the pop ride. And now mind you at Peloton, I've taught multiple pop rides. I've taught hundreds, uh, thousands. Like it's an understatement, right? Being there for almost six years. Legs of steel, legs of steel, (laughs) legs of steel, climbing every mountain. But I get off, you know, this morning and to that point, I equate equate that to how many at this point, how many times you've been in front of the camera, how many interviews you've done, and then let alone how many dishes you've created, right? Mm-hmm. And it's still this interesting 
uh, internal battle of finding your voice. Cause I was struggling with it this morning. I'm like, what in the, what the hell am I, what am I saying? Why am I here? What do they need from me? And do I have it anymore? Like I literally came home and I was just like, these are all the things am I, and I don't call it imposter syndrome. Cause I don't really, not that I don't believe in that phrase, but it's just like anything that's a little too catchy. Isn't, isn't for me. Um, yep. but, but it's that internal, I call it just like that internal war. And you mentioned like, finding your voice. And sometimes you lose that voice, even if you're using it all the time. How do you reclaim that narrative and shift, you know, whether it's internal or even external dialogue, how do you reclaim that narrative and and take back your voice? I think it's with doing things with intentionality, you know, making sure you're intentional with everything that you're doing. Yeah, we all got to get a bag every now and then. I'm not saying that. But if you're doing these long-term projects, it's like, why are you doing this? Is this something that you really want to do? Is there a way that you can have a philanthropic arms like you're actually connected to this thing and driving it? Um, I, I've definitely struggled with it, especially like early on in my career, getting pulled in a million different directions. Like, you know, everybody wants you here and everybody wants you to do this. But at a certain point, you got to like say no a lot <laughs> so you can find your voice because people will try to just label you. I'm pretty sure for you as well, you know, it's like, no, you're just a a Peloton instructor. You know, you, you just do this. And it's like, no, I could, I could fucking run the floor at, at Barclays. You know, I could have my own podcast. I can do this. And that's how I feel as well. It's like, don't put me in a box. Don't label me. Yes. I'm a chef, but I'm not, I'm, I'm Kwame first. So that means, you know, I can act, I can come out with my own like brands, you know, I can do creative direction. I have so much more to give to this world because, you know, life is such a gift and we only get one of them. Yes. And you have no polish collection. I mean, of all you work with your hands, you have a no polish collection. You're talking about starring in your own. So the biopic, right, is happening. Did that already mm-hmm. happen? Tell me about that. Because I know we again, I know we had talked about it and yeah. it was like one of those things where we were just like, this is happening. You're like, don't forget my biopic. Don't. Not forget this because it's important. It's on my life and the book of notes of a young black chef. And I was oh, like, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't want I didn't want to sound like I was fangirly in our first interview and just list all your accomplishments. But yes, the you're leaning into that intersectionality and it's challenging when you're being pulled. But when it comes to moments like that where you're doing something new, I need you to like I, I want you to tell me more of just like what is that, what is that voice in your head saying to you when you're being pulled? How do you find the, I guess, courage to say no? And how do you find the comfort in the fact that you may have said no when you should have said yes in especially shaping your voice, especially to the public world? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I'm a firm believer that like everything happens in its time. So like if you said no, you were supposed to say no. And you just got to live with that because you can't go back and you can't dwell on the past. You can only like prepare for the future. So um, for me, I have two voices in my head. You know, I have my biggest critic and I also have my biggest cheerleader. And you got to have both. We're automatically going to have that inner critic. You know, everyone talks about it from Deepak Chopra to Oprah, you know, about that inner critic in your head. Um, But you need to remember to be your biggest cheerleader. So when I'm getting pulled in directions, you know, I I try to listen to my body and, and listen to my intuition. And, you know, if, if it doesn't really make sense for me, then it doesn't make sense for me. And if I'm trying to do something and, it doesn't work out. Yeah, I'm human. So like I will dwell on it for a little bit, but then I get up and say like, okay, what else can I do now that I have this time? And the time is the most important thing that we have. 
And every single experience that we face is all a lesson, failures, success, everything adds to the gift of life. So, you know, what are you going to do with yours? You know, and that's what I say to myself. Can you take it a step further and give us like, what does that inner cheerleader say? Uh, Don't let these motherfuckers play with you. All right. (laughs) Yes. That's what it says. It says you're Kwame on Wachi, you know, and you're you're an amazing person. You don't have anything to prove. So whatever you're doing is for yourself. And you know what you what you're doing is with intention. So like stick with that, even when like people like when there's voices coming out in your head, like find your inner peace, find your third eye and and um, and find your Zen. And and that's that's what my inner cheerleader says to me. Today's podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. If you didn't know, SeatGeek is the official ticketing partner of the Brooklyn Nets. Unlike any other apps, SeatGeek makes buying tickets super simple. Whether you're trying to go to a Nets game, Liberty game, concert, or any other event at Barclays Center, you really only need SeatGeek. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take me on your ride of your inner cheerleader when you've created a dish for somebody important. And it could be anyone. Sometimes, you know, it's that aunt who has that rare taste bud and you don't cook for them and you know she always has something to say. Um, or it's uh, some type of placement in some type of capacity, a competition like Top Chef. What is that inner cheerleader saying after you finish that dish? Dish is done. And this person's about to taste it and give some feedback. You know, whether it's solicited or unsolicited, you know, this person or these people are about to give you some feedback. What is that inner cheerleader or even that inner critic saying to you at that time? Well, at that time, like if it is a competition style thing, like I already know what's wrong with the dish before anyone even eats it. Because, you know, you're on a time constraint and certain times you can't fix things. Certain times things didn't work out for you. So like most times, like I know when I know when my shit is like really, really good or when it could use some work. And and I know to like not take advice from the auntie that <laughs> is like out of her mind. Like I've had an aunt come into my restaurant one time and, and order the salmon and we serve our salmon medium um, because salmon at well done is just like overcooked. It's just not as good unless you specify. Facts. So, Facts. you know, we served it medium and she called the server over and said how disgusting this was. She's a microbiologist and there's so many pathogens and it's like, First of all, you ain't no damn microbiologist. Like, I, I know what you are. And you would have said something regardless of the facts or regardless of the facts. So, um, so yeah, you know how to, I think as a professional, like, you know how to take unsolicited, uh, unsolicited advice and use it to your benefit or just, like, discard it and throw it away. 
I love that she was like, this is just like, no, 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 no. Listen, this is how it's supposed to, this yeah. is how it's supposed to taste. Mm-hmm. This is how it's supposed to taste. Um, let's, let's jump in and switch gears to halftime. We're going to move back into those game time moments in the third quarter, but halftime where we get a little fun. What is one of your biggest pet peeves? For me, it's like when someone clips their nails in public, like you're on the plane and some homie busts out like a nail clipper and just starts. Yeah. And I'm like, what are we, what are we doing right now? What are we, what's on our mind? That's, that's also a pet peeve of mine for sure. Even the sound of it clipping is like, it's jarring. Yes. Um, I don't like people that are late, honestly. That really like mm. upsets me, um, especially without like letting you know in advance. Um, I, I I hate when kitchens are not clean. Also, like very clean. Um, I'm a huge stickler for that. Um, people chewing with their mouths open. That's a real big pet peeve for me. <laughs> Ooh. Are you someone who just let that go and just like internally like cringe, or you're just like, hey, by the way. I can hear you. Are you like that caller outer or caller inner? <laughs> it, it depends on the moment. I think you got to know. I got you got to pick and choose your placement. But I'm I'm definitely a caller outer kind of person. Like I'll call you out. Um, but if you're like in my vicinity and I don't know you, like I don't own the space, it would just like annoy me. So. Oh, see, I would mimic you. I am that person. If I don't know you and I'm in the place, I'll be like. Like I really do mimic people. I mimic, it, it, it's a skill set too, because you learn about it when you're growing up in your career. It's like a, a great way to own a room is if you mimic the, match the energy or mimic the oh, person, yeah. especially, you know, it, that you're talking to. It's a form of respect in many cultures, but also like it's a sign of like, you know, being prepared and, and owning mm-hmm. the room. And so I'll take that a step further and just like be annoying with it. Did <laughs> anybody swing on you yet? Swing on me? No, uh, no one has ever swing swung at towards or on me um, because I don't I don't think I I don't think I give them not to say I'm the baddest, but I ain't. But I am. <laughs> I was like, wait, my energy leader just said, yes, you like, are. I am the baddest. Sorry, stop. Uh, yeah, I, it's not without reason. And then also, like, I think mimicking behavior isn't just it doesn't take it to that that place where a point of contention. It's more like if they notice, I start laughing and they start laughing because they know. I'm just saying, I know what you know, and you do yeah. what you know you don't want to do. So please stop. That's all. Please stop. Yeah, people do it to. I feel like people do it to me. I don't get upset. What would they? So, that, if someone had to mimic you, what would they do? They mimic my energy. Everyone always says how excited I am. Like I get excitable, like about things, right? And so anytime I'll say, I'm like, hi, they're like, oh, hi. Like ah. they do this like high pitched voice mm-hmm. and I get what they're trying to say at the same time. One, I, un- I appreciate the energy, but two, I'm not at that level. Yeah, totally And so, yeah, over the years I've had to do, I've had to do that. I did a, um, an interview with an artist and with Babyface, And, you know, one of the things that I, I had to be mindful of, the energy is going to be different. One, his music is already so chill. He's so dope and he's an icon. <laughs> so I need to chill out mm-hmm. and of course, let him as the, you know, pay homage and respect and let him set the, the energy in the room and follow that. So there are spaces that I will own and be, you know, be, have my high energy and high vibrations. And I, and I guess, you know, I get some, um, some stuff back for that. Okay. All right. You know, not bad at that. Not bad at that. Uh, what's a non-negotiable for you? I know you said you don't like people being late. You like a clean kitchen. But when it comes to maybe even your personal life, what is a non-negotiable where you're just like, no, this is a, this is a straight up, I'll pass. Hmm. Non-negotiable lying. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was 
say that would be the one. I would say there's a lot of them that come up like that you're not really prepared for until you're like, oh, hell no, like I'm out of here. But like lying definitely is one. I literally, I literally choked, choked on my water when you said lying. I was like, I was trying to say, me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yelling at me, I, I would say, like raising your voice at me. It's a non-negotiable. Like we're not even continuing the conversation at that point. Do you, do you just walk out? Do you just like leave? Oh, if like, someone, if someone yells, or do you, do you match them or do you leave? It depends. <laughs> it depends on the conversation, but normally it's like this conversation. Or, or I just be like, why are you yelling? Lower your voice. And then I'll just make them like look really stupid. Because <laughs> they'll be like, and then they'll be like, let's say they're like, and I don't understand. I'm like, and why are you yelling? They'll be like, I don't understand. And I'm like, you just you look stupid now. Now I won the whole argument. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> don't get dirty with pigs because no one's going to know the difference, you know? Exactly. What about yours? Um, when it comes to a non-negotiable for me, I think it's preparedness. Um, it's on both sides. So a non-negotiable to the standard that I hold myself is that I'm always prepared. I will step into any conversation prepared to mm-hmm. some capacity and most times to the extreme degree. Yeah. I think being prepared is a form of being thoughtful and which Absolutely. extends itself to, to a form of respecting someone's time. And I think time is your most valuable luxury. It's not even a commodity. It's a luxury in life that some people don't have a lot of, and we don't know that until we don't know that. And so for me, it's like my love language is being prepared. So a non-negotiable on my end when I show up is to be prepared. And then in terms of being on the reciprocating end, a non-negotiable for me is again, similarly someone who isn't strategic or thoughtful. Like if you didn't come up, if you didn't think about the conversation that we're about to have before you're, we're having it, it's a no for me. It's a, I'll pass, take, mm-hmm. let's take a beat. You come back with some thoughts. I want you to feel the way you feel. I want you to be able to articulate the way you feel. I want you to feel empowered to step in front of anyone. And so I make, that's a non-negotiable for me because that's what I preach. Like empowerment means you know what you feel. So if you don't know what you feel or what you think about what we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. I want you to go and get that. Go get that and come back and okay. I'll be, I'll make time. I don't mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel that. it's a little bit of that. Uh, what's your two more before we, we get back into could a game time moments? Um, What's your favorite thing to cook? Not favorite thing to eat, because that's next. What's your favorite thing to cook? Uh, my favorite thing to cook is, is probably just like steak, just like a really good seared rib, bone-in ribeye, um, just seasoned immaculately, cooked perfectly, uh, basted in butter the whole time. Like that's probably my favorite thing to cook. And it doesn't, I don't it? get it on a plate. It just, I, I just eat it off the cutting board. What what's the seasoning like? What's because I, I feel I don't know. Maybe I, this should be the question, and maybe this doesn't make the cut. Ha ha ha! But what makes what makes a good like? I have steak, and I'm no I'm no you, so my taste buds aren't refined. I have a steak, and and you're like, oh, it's just a steak, and then I have a steak, and I'm like, oh, that's a steak. That's a steak. And I get there's different in cuts, but even I could have a bone in ribeye that's juicy, marbly, like all the stuff that they tell you at the restaurants. Mm-hmm. But you're like, oh, that's just a steak, and then you're like, oh. That's a steak. Yeah. I mean, the cut is important. Um, the, like the breed of cattle is important, like down to that. And then the, the, it's honestly the way you cook it. Cause like you can just put salt and pepper on a steak and baste it in butter with rosemary, thyme and garlic and just like crush the garlic, but leave the skin on. So it doesn't burn when it's cooking in the butter. I add um, a spice blend that's been in my family for a while. It's called our house spice. My family is Creole. So it's like a Creole seasoning essentially. 
that we put, but we make it in-house and we put it on the steak liberally, like lots of it on there. So it forms a nice crust. Um, so yeah, I mean, a, a nice, you know, one and a half inch, two inch bone in ribeye, get your pan really hot. You need to make sure your steak comes to room temperature before you even cook it. So it doesn't like seize up, um, from the heat. So there's a couple tricks to make it like even more tender and delicious, but, um, but yeah, it's really cooking it. Make sure you're basting it in butter. Um, make sure you like finish it in the oven. So you have the radiant heat. So it's not that direct heat from the pan the whole time. So, um, so yeah, just a steak. I, I love I love cooking steak and eating steak. You just you just got like a masterclass with Kwame on <laughs> courtside conversation. You could probably end the podcast now and go find yourself a steak and make it and yeah. give us feedback. <laughs> I mean, you got more bang for your buck right there. That was just that was a whole moment. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, l- last question, and maybe you can say it's a steak. But if there's, what's your favorite thing to eat? My favorite thing to eat is probably my mom's gumbo, or chicken wings and pork fried rice from the Chinese takeout spot. So stop being the same person. Thank you very much. I'd like you to exit. Are you serious? I love some chicken wings and pork fried rice. That's it. That's it. Facts. That is literally it. If I'm having a bad day, I get that. If I'm I'm having a good day, I get that. That, And it's got to be from New York, though. It can't be from like any other state. Um, It can be from like the East Coast. I'll give the East Coast some Chinese takeout love, but but it's just so comforting. Like the chicken wings are like, they're seasoned perfectly. They're crunchy. You know, you put some duck sauce on it. If, if they have some other sweet sauce on it, it's, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. I'm glad we have the same taste. You, you have a refined palate. You don't give yourself. But, oh, thank right. you. Yeah. Thank you. I will, I will say, um, according to my husband, I am not a great cook. Although growing up, I was thought of as being a good cook. I guess over time, I've lost that kind of touch. And he calls me like that one pot wonder because I ain't got time. I just put everything in a pot and I just, especially in a soap cooker. And I'm like, boom, I'm done. But one day, one day I'm going to make this, this steak. One day when I have more time, time is a luxury. I cannot, additional time is a luxury I can't afford right now, which I ain't complaining about. We'll get there. We'll get there. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right. I have you for a few more minutes. So let's step into the third quarter right away. Okay. Let's talk about it. Game time moments, once again, metric for success. I mean, when you think about your career, what are a mo- moments or a moment where you're just like, yo, I made it. I feel successful. And I know that's a passing. I'm not saying like the end, close, ch- close the book. I know there's more to the story, but has there ever been a moment or moments where you're just like, oh my gosh, I made it. I've established a metric for success. I execute the strategy and I'm here. That's such a hard question to answer because I never want to feel like I made it because there's levels to this shit, you know, and I've hung out with people that like, (laughs) um, like their houses 
have their own zip code. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> so like the make. Who are those people? Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it's like, yeah, it's hard to say you've made it. I, I think there's moments that are like, whoa, this shit is really crazy. Like, I think when I cooked for the gold party, you know, for Jay-Z, um, and, you know, I did that whole Oscars party for him. Um, that was like a moment when I, when I hosted the, because I won the James Beard Awards before, but then I hosted mm-hmm. the James Beard Awards, which I was like, holy shit, like this is, they chose me, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to all my peers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think a couple of those moments, but I still never feel like I've made it. Like I never want to feel that way. I guess making it for me would be like having a family, like having, like having a legacy, like kids. I think at that moment, I'll be like, I made it because then all this other stuff is very arbitrary, but like having someone that's extremely tangible that I can raise to like give back to the world, then I will feel like I've made it. How many kids, if you could have it your way, how many kids would you I want like three or four. I want, I definitely want a set of twins. And then yes. I want another like two little rugrats running around too. Wow. That's a lot of kids. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> I need you know, a big house. I need my own zip code. That's, that's what I'm saying. I got, I got, I have, I have a, a, a destination. That's what, that's, those are goals. Um, I don't know about the four kids unless they come in this like a two set of twins situation. That now that I'm always for a good deal. You know, I sometimes I talk to myself uh, and I'm like, you cannot not buy that. Like you don't need it, but it's on such a good sale. sale. And that's such You're a good deal. Twins. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to pay my respect to the exactly. people that recognize that sale. Let me put out a good sale. And I'm like, I see you. I'm going to mm-hmm. buy it, even though I don't need it. I feel like that way with kids. Like if I could get a two for four, what? We're good. I mean, that's a 50% discount. 50% discount. And if it's 50% off, you have to buy it. 50% discount. You're going to pay in the back end, but <laughs> the front. Yes. It's good. You just get a bumpy subscription. That's it. You just, it's, a, it's a discount in the front. Parents with twins are like, you don't know what you're talking about. Get like, buy. They're like, you don't know what you're talking They're about. They're logging off to me um, right now. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's, uh, gratitude. Gratitude is a huge part of um, what we do just in general. I think, I was talking to someone else on the podcast, like Lance Fresh, and it, and it's been quite amazing to live in New York City or to even live in LA or like, you know, in Austin and Miami, Chicago, live in these cities or London and create and not be from there, first off, not really be from that city, move there and create not only just a network, a professional network, but to create an extension of your family in some capacity. People you can call or tap in to say, Real recognize is real. I want to talk to you on my podcast, Kwame, or like, let's hang out every day or like, how can I better service you? Or how can I support you show up to your opening and all these things? And I think one of the things that has happened to when I look around and I am so grateful for is that I've been able to do that. Young girl from Miami moved in by herself, you know, at 17 years old, a couple few years later, I'm, in, I'm here, I'm talking to you, someone like you who's done so much. And so it, it, I'm so grateful for these moments oh. like when we talk about it. And I, and I think oftentimes we forget about gratitude when we think about the game. You know, sometimes the, the biggest play comes from the greatest assists yeah. are the people who pass us the ball, right? And so it, it, can you recognize or take this time, if you don't mind, recognizing a person or people that have influenced your career or just passed you the ball at the right time for you, for you to score? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely recognize um, probably my team more than anything else that has like 
because like when you lead a team, you're pretty much a charismatic speaker of hope. <laughs> like there's no real proof of anything that's going to happen. You're like, okay, we're going to move to DC. We're going to open this restaurant. It's, it, it, it's going to be great. Uh, we're we're going to have chairs and tape. Like there's nothing here now, but just picture it in your head, you know, and slowly but surely things start moving in. They start floating in. In my mind, it's like some Harry Potter shit. Like they're just floating in and coming in, you know, um, and that's how it looks like in my brain and their brain. It's like already established, right? Because the way that I'm talking about it, how I'm speaking. So without them, I wouldn't be here, you know, like, I've had, you know, influential people pass me the rock and everything. And that's cool and everything. But those moments aren't like, I, I can't go to another person. Well, I can and say like, I just cook for Jay-Z, you know, then I get to the next level. It, it's not really, that, that, that's not really how it happens. How it happens is my team is there for me. So when I did say I want to do my first restaurant and it failed miserably, then I said, wait, give me another chance. We're going to do another restaurant. And then it succeeded it was, I was only able to get there because of the people that, that lift me up. So I just want to show gratitude to my team, to anybody who has like worked for me, <laughs> um, the young me, naive me, you know, the, the me that was not prepared to be a, a, the leader that I am today. Um, so that's, that's my gratitude moment. All right. We're going to, this, this game is, is of course, you, you know, going to go and finish in a sense because you are, the narrative you're creating is still being written and there's so much more to look forward to. Mm -hmm. um, but as we step into this fourth quarter and to kind of the fat, final part of, of our conversation, courtside, one of the things that I recognize is that you early on, like many of the folks that I talked to, including myself and many of my close friends, you've chosen to put yourself in the public eye <laughs> at a very young age. Yeah. And along with that comes great responsibility, um, hardship. Yeah. And, and I would say a, a unique and, you know, Liam Neeson style, a unique set of skills to perform a job that not many people can do because you do it well. Many people can try to do it, but when you do it, such as yourself, Kwame, you do it well. Talk me through this choice and, and, and of being a public person. And do you have, I don't want to use the word regrets, but do you have any second thoughts on how you would have, and I know you can't go back because you said you don't, you don't go back to change the past. But do you have any thoughts from the past that influences what's next for you? Yeah, well, you know, for me, I love this life. Like as a kid, I was I was in plays. I was a lead. You know, I would get up on the on my desk and dance. I was a class clown. If the teacher walked out for a second, I'd go through the desk and pull out her glasses and put them on and imitate her. You know, so like. I felt like I was always a performer of, of some sorts. Um, so it was a natural like step for me. I think there's, there's a huge responsibility. And I think there's also a lot that the public doesn't understand that like, it's always, sometimes when you see us on the street, like we're not always on, like we may have just had a bad day or something. And I think it's, it's very important to just be kind in, in general. Um, and I say that cause like, Recently, I met someone that said they had met me like two years ago and they're like, oh, I thought you were a dick. And I was like, what? Like, why? They were like, because like I said hi to you and you just like said like, hey, and, and walked away. And I was like, where was this? They're like, it was a Today Show. I was like, what time was it? They're like 5 a.m. I was like, I was tired, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was saving my energy for the camera. Like I was not trying to do these bursts of energy to every single person that I met. And we had a really great night. So then we became like super cool. But that's just a small snapshot of like someone in a public eye that what they have to deal with on, on a daily basis. Um, but it's, 
But with great power comes great responsibility. And it's something that we have to think about and like take a moment to just truly connect with someone and then transition out of that and also speak up and say like, hey, man, I'm, I'm tired as hell. It's great meeting you. I'm just going to walk over here, you know. So it's um, it, I'm still learning. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have it any other way, though. I, I truly enjoy it because I think it also gives um, a platform to do things, you know, to be philanthropic, to give back to also give opportunities to mentor people, to open doors for others. So, you know, the, they can have an easier path at, at, you know, what they're trying to obtain based off our struggles. Like Jay-Z, you know, I sold drugs. So hopefully you won't have to go through that. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Well, I will say, I thank you once again for sharing your insight, digging a little deeper in your story. I hope our path continues to cross, crisscross all the time big, big supporter of what you're doing and what you continue to do. And I really appreciate your time stepping us into this courtside conversation and taking us into the storytelling that is your life, Kwame. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate Um, it too. All right. All right, y'all. Y'all heard it here. Chef Kwame Onwachi just gave us the lowdown courtside conversation style. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.